0: Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Dementia Researcher podcast. Alzheimer's Society have recently made some changes to the focus of their funding programmes to ensure that the four I's implementation, impact, inclusion, and involvement are considered in every application. So, today we will be discussing why they have made these changes and the experience of applying to the scheme. So, I'd like to welcome the panel today Catherine Gray, a research grants manager at Alzheimer's Society. Faye Boswell, a Research Grants Officer at Alzheimer's Society, and Antoinette O'Connor, a Clinical Research Fellow at the Dementia Research Centre here at UCL. Welcome to you all. Uh, shall we start with a quick
1: roundtable from the Alzheimer's Society gang? Uh, Faye? I help to run our research funding rounds and I help to support researchers who apply um through our process, our funding process, and once they're funded, we then help to support them. And I also help our engagement team to include people affected by dementia in all of our research funding processes as well.
0: Okay. Catherine? Yeah.
2: So um, I work with Faye in the grants team at the Alzheimer's Society. Um, I've worked at the Society for um, just over six years, which seems like ages. Um, And... My job is to sort of oversee our research funding programme, so um, working with Faye to support applicants through the process, through our review processes, um, and then to work with our funded researchers to support them to sort of maximise the impact of their research and make sure that they've got everything they need from the society
0: to deliver their projects. Okay, and Antoinette, you did a podcast with us recently talking about your research that maybe you could give everyone a little intro.
3: So, I'm a clinical fellow working at the Dementia Research Centre um, under the supervision of Nick Fox, and my work focuses on familial Alzheimer's disease and trying to de- develop um, accessible biomarkers of pre symptomatic disease.
0: Yeah, and I interviewed you for that, and it was really interesting. So, if you haven't heard that one, listen <laughs> to that one too. Okay, so maybe we can start with you guys talking a bit about Alzheimer's Society research, what you fund not what you don't fund, let's not do negatives, just what you fund and a bit of an intro into that.
2: Okay, yeah, shall I start? Yeah. I'll give a bit of an overview then. So um, we have been funding research um, right from the beginning of uh, of the society setting up. It's actually our 40th um, birthday this year. Um, (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, And in that time, we've invested over £70 million into research. um, And that's because we really believe that research will transform the lives of people affected by dementia and it's always been a sort of core mission of the Alzheimer's society as well as supporting um, with sort of services
0: and information and support for people affected by dementia Can um, I just uh, just quickly yeah? interject from the 70 million Is there a 50-50 split with social care, biomed? Is it very much social care?
2: So we've always funded both biomedical and care research. Um, Typically, I think, well, historically, I think the balance has been more on the biomedical side um, because we receive more biomedical applications and biomedical research tends to be a bit more expensive. Um, But we have over, in the last five years or so, we've been trying to sort of redress that balance and look at sort of a more of an equal split but I think it's still more we're about two-thirds biomedical one-third care on spend but we don't have like an allocated budget for care uh, okay. or biomedical it, it's we're led by the quality and the number of applications that we get in
0: that is interesting okay yeah. Carry on.
2: <laughs> so that leads me nicely into my next bit about what we fund. um so we um the program is really broad we've got a really open remit um so we look at improving care for people with um dementia who have dementia and are living with it today, and looking at finding cures and treatments um, for the future. So, um, if it's if it's about dementia, then it's probably going to be within our remit in some guise or another, whether that's the care side of the program or the biomedical side of the program. That's the kind of overview. Of-
1: so we have our biomedical stream um, and our implementation care and public health stream as well and we have separate boards for these and we offer grants that kind of go through a researcher's career from undergraduate to a project grant um, for independent researchers so we offer PhD studentships, um, clinical junior and senior fellowships and um, we've recently merged our implementation and care boards together um, to try and make researchers think about implementation at all stages of their research. I
0: was actually about to ask, is that a requisite for the social care funding, that there is a section on implementation in it now?
2: Yeah. Yeah, there is now. So we... As I said, we have had a separate stream in the past, so about three years ago we set up a specific implementation funding stream for care research um, that ran alongside our care um, funding program. But what we've done over the last sort of six months is bring those programs together because we think implementation needs to be considered all the way across whatever your stage of research you need to be thinking about that end goal and those end users and making sure that you've engaged with those people right at the beginning and is it
0: uh, because we get asked this a lot in various places I've been to is there sort of a budget within the grant to implement do you see what I mean so it's not just you know thinking about how you might implement it at the end is there a set budget so you could go out and try and implement it
2: so you'd be able to, we don't have a sort of specific allocated budget within our grants for implementation, mm-hmm. but it needs to be integrated into that right. their whole project, basically. And that can be costed for within okay. the projects. Yeah.
0: And obviously that's social care, not really biomedical, because yeah. you're not implementing in anything biomedical. But I wonder, is there anything along those lines within biomedical where you could do more patient involvement, even at any biomedical stage, you know, basic bench scientists might never come in contact with patients, and yeah. this was probably where you come in, Antoinette, um, but, you know, that, that maybe, is there any, like, part of the grant process? Would you also be looking at biomedical
1: um, yeah, applications so that way? We want, going forward, we want biomedical applicants to consider how their research is going to, down the line, impact people affected by um, dementia, and we we want to fund more biomedical Research. Well, I think we already do get a lot of applications like this, but where even the most basic projects they're thinking about, it's not just going to be a paper that kind of sits somewhere. It's going to eventually move on to the next project, and then the next project after that, and turn into something that could that could help people.
0: Mm. And maybe Antoinette, you can jump in now and talk a bit about your experience with the Alzheimer's funding program. So yeah, I was
3: I was fortunate enough to be. Um, going through this process last year and was just preparing for my interview now actually this time last year so it rings a lot of bells but um so I actually I really, I really enjoyed the focus of Alzheimer's Society research and they've really strong track record supporting high quality research in fact my supervisor Nick Fox is when he was in my position he was funded by an Alzheimer's Society clinical fellowship and seeing how the Alzheimer's Society supports high quality research and continues to support um, researchers throughout their career was one of the reasons that I was really wanted to apply for this scheme also that focus of being on real world utility is something I'm really passionate about and understanding how my research can be used in practice is something that I think is really valuable and that focus on patient involvement that the Alzheimer's Society promotes and facilitates is really great. Um, when I was going through making my application I was fortunate enough to be working on the familial Alzheimer's disease um, study at UCL and I got to have some patient involvement with my application and um, I got patients to read my application and actually that was really great because it ensured that I had that you know that real-world utility that it was appropriate questions that would have utility and that's why I kind of focus on accessible biomarkers as a a cornerstone of my grant and what is good with the Alzheimer Society now is that through the involvement of research network volunteers I get to have ongoing involvement of patients and carers shaping my not only my research questions but also trying to understand the results and getting the important messages out there
0: when you said about having the patient involvement during your application process where you could actually talk to them was that something you set up or was that through the Alzheimer's Society?
3: The way the application is structured it encourages you to focus on patient and public involvement so it encourages you from the get-go to think about making sure your research is clinically facing and and useful.
0: Mm-hmm. So obviously you encourage that, do you have practical ways to help with that? So you-
1: when, um, when they submit an application, we send all we send all the applications to peer review, and we send it to lay review to our research network, um, and we send it to the whole network, and then we combine their scores equally to determine which ones get through shortlisting, and then as well as our two board meetings, um, we have two research network panels which feed up into these board meetings and two representatives from the research network from the panel will go and attend the board meetings as well. So they're involved at every part of the process and we give applicants all of the lay comments as well as all of the peer review and board comments. So yeah.
3: So yeah this time last year I just finished doing my rebuttal and the f- first section was to scientific comments but there was also lay comments which were quite good at drilling down particularly on that implementation and what was the the utility of my project and act- and as well as that preparing for my interview because I knew there'd be a member of the research network I practiced not only with scientific colleagues but also my housemates because it actually getting that broader focus and kind of not getting too drilled down on the nitty-gritty is actually Mm. really important and can highlight things that you wouldn't have noticed (laughs) and has definitely I think improved improved my overall project and um, I'm really grateful for it.
1: And they don't hold back
2: either. They, <laughs> yeah, they so, really no. don't. Yeah. The written comments, or the interviews, they can uh, be quite uh, direct with their questions. Which <laughs> sometimes they ask the most obvious questions in such a simple way that it can um, it can catch people out. I think sometimes if they haven't, you know, prepared to talk in a sort of more accessible and more lay way about their work and their research. Um, well, I guess you
0: want to ensure that it is because it. With biomedical, you can be a bit hand wavy when you're like, oh, yeah, this is about dementia. It's about Alzheimer's. But it's sort of your basic biology project, really. And you're like, yeah, I'll just throw some medical terms in there and, you know, I'll get funded. But if you're not really committed to it, then they'll pull you out on that. Yeah,
2: they'll sniff that right (laughs) out. And
3: And when you're writing the grant, you do your scientific summary and your lay... Um, summary, and actually having to do the lay summary and strip away that jargon <laughs> yeah. can also really I- I expose your project in a way and get you to see where the weaknesses are and your actual understanding of it because if you can 't <laughs> translate it down, then there is a problem so that was really really useful exercise for me yeah
2: i i think i agree i think it 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 demonstrates the quality in in an applicant if they're able to successfully communicate the mm, project yeah. at a really sort of lay level and really sort of accessible way just to go back a step we do also have um a proposal development offer with our research network volunteers so yes. um, applicants can apply to work with our research network volunteers at the early proposal development stage and so only one social care by minute, yeah, yeah yeah and so they can apply to work with our volunteers I think it's something like six weeks ahead of the, our deadlines oh, okay. um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be for that specific deadline they can approach us at any mm-hmm. time um,
3: yeah, I did to, that, and that was helpful. I got some feedback because it get it did, and then I refined my lay proposal on mm-hmm. foot of that. So yeah, it's, it's not a requirement
2: relevant. by any means, no. and we can't offer it to everybody because. You know, and that earlier deadline yeah. is
3: actually quite helpful for making.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah focuses the mind. <laughs> um, but that is an option that's available if people don't have access to patient groups themselves.
0: Yeah. Okay. So maybe we can come back to because we're sort of talking about changes of the focus of your funding programs and the four eyes could you maybe expand on the four eyes and
2: yeah so I think we've touched on like a few of them already actually and I think I think in some ways it shows that this isn't these aren't big changes to our programs. they' are actually quite integrated in the way that we've always wanted to fund research. Um, and the way and the work that we have supported, I think has often demonstrated these four eyes. but I think we wanted to be a bit more clear about um, what we were sort of expecting from researchers who apply to us. And I think because we have got such an open remit, I think we wanted to be a bit more clear about if you apply to the Alzheimer's Society, these are the things that are really important to us. So um, just to like sort of touch on them. So we've got impact, implementation, um, oh, almost the test of my memory, include and involve. <laughs> um, so I don't know whether we want to go through them quickly, like top line or whether no, we no, want to go... Do it, please
0: do, because it, if it's going to help people when they're applying to know what you're thinking, then... Yeah,
2: yeah. so um, I mean, it sounds quite obvious when you sort of talk about them and you know they do seem like quite obvious statements but so for thinking about impact um, when for particularly with biomedical projects where as we've already said like the impact can be quite removed if you're doing sort of quite basic biomedical science where we've we've made some changes in the application form to sort of ask questions about um, the human relevance of that work and even if it is basic biomedical science you still need to be able to put it in that con- that human context and the sort of demonstrate the relevance of the models that you're using to the human condition um so and again i think we've always funded those projects in the past but i think it's just being a bit more clear with applicants that that's what we're expecting them to and just ask them to spell that out more clearly in their application forms I guess
0: you want you don't want to deter people from applying, but Absolutely you want not, to make sure no. the applications you're getting are of a good quality because yeah. you want the researchers to exactly and, and succeed. We, and, we don't yeah. want to just
2: fund science for the sake of science. We, yeah. we're really interested in improving lives, and and to do that, we want people who are also thinking in that way, even if it is really sort of
1: basic science. Um, so we talked a bit about implementation. So wanting the applicant to include. Um their implementation plan earlier on in their research application, like their project development um so we've combined the boards and we've changed our application forms as well to kind of ask applicants how they're going to do this.
2: So I think on the care side, it's you know we've asked some really specific questions about what implementation means and what those plans are and how they're going to engage with you know end users or knowledge users um but I think even with biomedical research we still want to know what the next steps are for that project even if it again even if it is basic biomedical science like what is the next where does this fit in the pipeline like how does how does this fit into the wider context of work and how's it going to move things forward so we're still asking about
0: implementation in our biomedical forms as well this is sort of more of a practical question But you, Faye, said that your job is supporting researchers during the process, but also after. And I guess implementation tends to happen further along in the journey. So do you check back in with people? Do you encourage people to check back in with you?
1: So with our funded grantees, they, they send us a yearly progress report. And at the final report stage, we ask them, how can the society support you now that your project's finished? And... The kind of support we offer, we have our translation team, so we can connect that researcher up with them to talk about how can they take the findings from their project and put that into practice in the real world. We have our um, communications team who can help communicate and disseminate um, the findings from that project. And we also have our innovation team who looks a bit more around the, the technology side and um, yeah, so there is like multiple ways that we can offer offer support for researchers after to help do something with their findings and to get it out there. And we we also offer dissemination grants, so they can apply um, for further funding, uh, and that's really open as well. It's it's any activity that they want to do um, to share their knowledge with wider audiences and people affected by dementia and yeah, the relevant people.
0: Do you think you might apply to that one, Antoinette?
2: <laughs> Just really? making yeah. a note. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say as well that often, you know, the results do come at the end and that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of the work, I guess, begins in terms of how we might be able to work with researchers and support them. But I did get an email today from one of our fellows who isn't even starting until January. And she was she emailed me today and she said, you know, I really want to work with you guys beyond my project. And I really want to work with you to maximise the impact of my project. Can we get that started before I start? So I've sent emails around today to various colleagues in different teams to say, you know, this is the project that she's doing. I think it offers a lot of value to the society and our wider work because you know we do offer you know we provide information we offer services you know there are lots of other ways that we can um work together with our funded researchers Mm -hmm. um so
0: in a way you know science is catching up maybe with the sort of project management business world where you would come up with a communication strategy from the beginning you wouldn't wait until it was the end you'd have all these things up and running and constantly be thinking about it. So I guess why not treat research the same? If you want it to actually have an impact, you need to...
2: Yeah, exactly. And we we fund um, three centres of excellence in care research and we've got project teams for each of those within the society from all of our different teams. So someone from policy, someone from our training team, someone from our knowledge team, all working to make sure that we make the most of the results that come out of the
0: research that we fund. Okay. Where did we get to with the eyes? Uh, I think got two left. <laughs> um,
2: so the other one is Include. So this one's looking about uh, looking at inclusion and sort of the diversity of um, participants, but also I guess just who's being considered in in research design and who's being included. Um, so we're asking um, all researchers about who they're including. We're looking closely at inclusion and exclusion criteria to. Um, to really encourage people to think about the populations that they're looking at and how representative they are, and again, just to make sure that the re- the research that we're funding is as relevant to as many people
0: as possible. Coming back to you, Antoinette, uh, I trying to remember from last time. You obviously have a cohort of participants that you
3: yeah I see you on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah, and... and
0: where how have you gone about getting them in? So, life?
3: <laughs> I'm really fortunate that there's been a long running study of male Alzheimer's disease at UCL since the first gene was discovered back in 1991. And actually, that gene discovery was triggered following a note, a note in the Alzheimer's Society Journal and then one lady wrote in talking about her family tree and how this wasn't normal and gathered up all her family and all the blood samples and from that there was the discovery of the APP gene and the amyloid um, hypothesis was essentially born but since that time there's been families with this autosomal dominant family history. So one person each generation um pass having the the disease with reasonably consistent ages of onset. So that study has been going since since that time. Um so I inherited um pardon the pun um uh really um a w- really well phenotyped um cohort. So I was very fortunate there and I guess it is a unique opportunity to study pre-symptomatic disease which is really more and more important as we have seen with the with recent trial failures so Mm, so
0: So, and is that ongoing like you will accept new families yeah it's ongoing recruitment
3: so um, new families and we recruit often you somebody will come in they'll say oh actually my brother is interested and um, so every time I've a new research participants we often get new family members but then new um new families are also recruited so we get neurologists from around the country um sending people also our familial alzheimer's disease support group is um a great avenue for people finding out about the research and becoming involved so they're two of the major additional um pathways and mm-hmm. um, so
0: for your inclusion you just don't exclude
3: anyone so we we include <laughs> yeah, just open doors. Uh yeah, we include all family members mm. and what is a big thing that's important with this study is if you are a member of a family you don't know, need to know your genetic status so if you are at at risk so in, in that by that I mean if your parent um had familial Alzheimer's disease and you have a 50-50 risk of inheriting the gene, you don't need to find out your mutation status to be part of the study. You, most, in fact, 90% of the study are at-risk family members who don't know their status. I
0: remember that from last time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, anything more on include? Should we move on to involve? <laughs> um,
1: so the society... We've pioneered the involvement of people affected by dementia in research with our research network, and it's their 20-year anniversary birthday. Um, you know right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think our, applica- our updated applications form kind of puts more opportunities for the applicants to describe their ap- approach to this, and um, something that I'm seeing a lot more... applications now is people including people affected by dementia or our research network volunteers as co-applicants on on a project which i think is really fantastic and i know that might not be an option for all applicants but i think we are starting to see researchers think more about this and um when we're kind of giving advice to researchers on different ways that they can include people affected by dementia, like we have a great engagement team within the research directorate at the society and we offer advice to researchers. And yeah, so I think, I I feel like we're already doing this. Mm. And I think researchers are starting to think about this more widely.
0: Okay, so maybe we can wrap up as we're coming to the end now about what are your top tips for applicants
1: so, yeah, a big part of my job is kind of supporting applicants before they apply to kind of make make it the best application that they can. And I would say my top tips are make sure you're building the right team. And um, this applies to all the different types of grants we offer, but in particular, the PhD studentships and the fellowships where... The funding board—they need to be convinced that the applicants are going to be well supported throughout their project, and we need to—we need to be reassured that there's going to be relevant dementia research expertise. So, no matter what your project is, I think making sure that you have that knowledge and experience on your team is really important. Secondly having strong engagement and dissemination plans, which we kind of touched on a little bit, um, this is commonly overlooked by applicants and especially in biomedical applications as well, so having strong engagement dissemination plans, it will ensure that you've got a well-designed study that's going to reach the relevant target audiences and make sure your project has as much impact as possible, so weaker applications, they don't usually know who their target audience is Um, They're they're unclear of what they want to achieve and the focus only on the activity and not the changes or the impact that will come from the project. And finally, and probably most importantly, why is your project relevant to people affected by dementia? So underestimating the lay summary section can really set your application back. As we've mentioned, they're heavily involved in the review process. Um, So, yeah, I think that's one of the most important things to consider when you're applying
2: I think my sort of top tip would be to take advantage of us and the grants <laughs> team at the Alzheimer's yeah. society um, we we're constantly manning emails we're on the phone we offer webinars to applicants um, you know we sometimes spend a lot of time with applicants helping them figure out how to pitch your application or how so to successful. apply yeah. yeah so you know if you're if you've got any questions you don't understand any of the guidance you know just You know, we're human beings and we're very happy to chat to you. So please do just get in touch and and talk it through rather than applying for something that you're not quite sure about. Yeah,
0: this has been really interesting. I am a biomedical scientist and have friends who are biomedical scientists and we're definitely um, sometimes take a step back and we're like we'll just do this tiny experiment and it's so great everyone will love it but then we haven't thought about any of the impact or anything so yeah we all don't want the- to put
2: people off you know <laughs> we don't want
0: you know to make life more difficult we just want to help you position yeah. your application as best as possible and Antoinette as someone who has actually successfully applied for an Alzheimer's Society grant do you have any top tips for applicants
3: I think giving yourself enough time is really important and making sure that not only do you give yourself enough time but also you give your supervisors and co-applicants enough time to read it and give feedback because that's really important um and definitely helped a lot with with my grant and then looking at the Alzheimer's Society funding program looking at the four eyes making sure that your application meets um the funding aims of that of the society is, is really very important. The other thing that I found helpful was getting actually friends who aren't medical or scientific to read my lay summary because they quickly pointed out the rather uh, <laughs> large chunks of jargon and problems. Um, I think that's really helpful and if you do go on from the application to having an interview, actually being interviewed by lay people as well can sometimes prepare you for the Research Network volunteer questions. Um, so I think that's that's quite important. And when you're going through the rebuttal process, I think that's a really um, important time to think about your project critically and how to improve it. And when you're doing your presentation for the interview to try and deal with the rebuttal almost in the presentation so that you can say you've taken the feedback on board and how you've improved things. Um, it was something I thought was quite um, important for for the interview, um, and then I guess the final thing is to that focus on patient and public involvement because I think that's beneficial for your application and also your research. So,
0: yeah. actually, something you said there about giving yourself enough time—you um, obviously have two, is it uh, calls a year? For, you know, big yeah. calls,
1: and you advertise them for beforehand our, for our call grants. We have. Two deadlines a year, um, and the deadlines are usually in March and September.
0: Yeah, so you could be thinking about it. Yeah. However long, and you know.
1: And what some people do is they'll start an application in one round and then realise they need more time Mm. and then wait for the one after that. And then.
0: And at that point, actually, coming back to your, you know, you're happy to help with applicants, so you could start, could you submit it and get feedback that way? Or Would you prefer people not to submit if it's not fully finished? Yeah, we want we want fully, you?
2: fully formed ideas mm. for the submission because the review process is really long. Yeah, um, and very involved. <laughs> <laughs> so we prefer people who are really. We want your best ideas. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, certainly you can work. You know, you can open an application form, have a look at it. You know, have those early discussions. Mm. Perhaps engage with us. Talk to us about. You know the questions, or working with our volunteers, or how they might be able to engage with their mm. own um, sort of end users, and and then, yeah, as Faye said, you could skip around and then apply in the future. We mm. try to keep things as consistent from round to round as we can, mm-hmm. um, so that people aren't too surprised by changes in the yeah. sort of form.
0: Okay, great, thank you. Well, it's time to end today's podcast recording. I'd like to thank our panelists, Catherine, Faye, and Antoinette, and everyone. Please ensure you remember the four I's implementation, impact, inclusion, and involvement. You can visit our website to look at the profile of all our panellists. And finally, please remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify. Thank you. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.